0: I had so much commentary on popular culture that I wanted to. Someone from a slightly larger magazine would read my work and ask me to do something. And it sort of like organically grew that way.
1: Marissa, welcome to In Her Shoes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. We're I'm so excited
0: for Paris? this. We're in Paris. Yes. This is
1: awesome. I'm so excited for the conversation for multiple reasons. You are a New York-based journalist. Mm-hmm. You've written for some incredible publications, The New Yorker, The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Vogue, the list goes on you've gone on to write some incredible books. Like, I did some research into some of them and loved your earlier stuff around kind of the girl power and the music, also the founder of Weight Watchers. And I just Mm -hmm. can't wait to get into all of that and understand what your trajectory was and how you navigated through... Journalism into book writing, mm-hmm. uh, to finally bring us on to Glossy, which is the instant, <laughs> instant best-selling book that kind of talks about Emily Weiss and the rise of Glossier as a brand. So yeah, just can't wait to get into this. And I like to start with the early years because I think that they're really formative for okay. who you are today. So I know that you grew up in California. Yep. And I asked this question because I grew up in London, Mm -hmm. city girl born and bred. Mm -hmm. And for me, watching The O.C. when I was younger (laughs) and and all
0: of those shows, it was always like the grass is greener. It's like the beautiful California life. What was that like? That is actually so funny because I was living... Not quite the OC, but actually also not dissimilar. I grew up in Santa Cruz, which is a beach town, like, one, you know, one of the most famous surf towns. And it's about an hour, hour and a half away from San Francisco, so close to Bay Area and Silicon Valley. And I grew up in a family of surfers and my stepmother's family had founded a wetsuit company. And I was the opposite, where I was reading like the Bronte sisters (laughs) and was a total like Francophile and Angophile and always being taken to, you know, Hawaii, either on vacations or on work trips with my family and pouting (laughs) because I thought I (laughs) belonged in London. So yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My... Like, fantasy of being an adult was to have a dog and live in a big city, either London or maybe New York or San Francisco or Paris and, you know, have some vaguely creative job. It was, I got out of, live out of like small town beach life uh, as soon as I could.
1: Really interesting. We also just found out pre-recording that we're both cancers. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we were meant to live like opposite lives, you know, maybe we
0: we channeled You need to find out your rising sign. (laughs) Not that I'm so interested in astrology, but I've always felt like a weird cancer because I'm not super maternal. I'm not, I don't know. But then my rising sign is Virgo, which is very like organized and all of that, and I I very much relate to that part of me. I'm and I wonder if you that. have a little bit of that, too, or something. So. I think so.
1: Because I am a cancer in my stubbornness, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my sensitivity, slightly. But I would say that there are some areas of the cancer that I don't really, like, similar to you, relate to. And especially, yeah. actually, as I've grown up, it's changed and it's evolved, which is also interesting. Oh, so that is interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll definitely look into that. Mm-hmm. I like to also, because when I was younger... I was handed Lego to play with.
0: Oh, you were? Yeah. Okay.
1: And I, my sister on the flip side was always a Barbie doll player. She loved Barbies. And Mm -hmm. I love, obviously, what that gave young women, which Mm -hmm. was, you know, access to thinking that you could be so much more than just the housewife or the maternal being. Mm -hmm. When you were younger, what did you play with? That's a
0: good question, because I think I played with, like, toys and dolls a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I don't have very strong memories. I was an only child. So part of it is there was no one to really play at home with, but I think I was more, I was just a real book kid, like a bookworm. I always had a lot of books. My parents were readers. And so my memories are more of being very involved in Nancy Drew. Did okay. those translate over yes. into the UK? Yeah, those yeah, are yeah, friends. absolutely. And then there was the Babysitter's Club, yes. <laughs> which was also... I remember reading until I felt way too old to yeah. be reading them, maybe when I was a freshman or even sophomore, you know, the first two years of high school. So age 14 and 15 and feeling kind of guilty that I was buying them and reading them, but they were very comforting and I was addicted. Those are my stronger memories. Mm. As a kid, I definitely played with Legos maybe a little bit, played with Barbies a little bit. I took cooking class. I took a lot of classes. When you were younger? Yeah, like I took children's cooking classes and was interested in learning how to cook and bake, and I took a lot of art classes. So I feel like that was more, I don't know. I don't think I was a real, like, plain at home by myself kind of person. Which is really interesting, because you wanted
1: to create, a, wow, I'm, I'm assuming, like, the imagination that's created through reading the books. It's quite magical. And so to, mm-hmm. I guess, tap into that on a, on a daily, however often you used to read.
0: Yeah, I think so. I was also just kind of lonely, because... Mm. Again, I was an only child. My parents divorced when I was basically an infant. So I just had a lot of time where I was just... I think it was a bit of an unusual childhood compared to some where there's more of like a family unit and the kids are doing things together. Whereas I was often with my parents on a business trip, kind of entertaining myself or going to an adult cocktail party and sitting in the corner and reading or something like that. So, I yeah, I think it was also just kind of a coping mechanism or just a sort of nature of the slightly unusual circumstances that I was always in.
1: When you're in those moments, whether it's traveling with your parents mm-hmm. on work trips or being in those rooms where it's like cocktail parties and you're mm-hmm. obviously young and kind of seeing all of this happen, what are you thinking and feeling like what what do you have any kind of
0: memories of what that felt like for you
1: other than loneliness?
0: but yeah, a boredom definitely. I think that in some ways, my imagination and creative life was this escape yeah. where I could really concentrate on what my life would be like maybe when I was an adolescent or teenager and had more freedom or what my life would be like when I went away to university. I was very fixated on kind of like when my life would start and when I'd have more, I guess, agency. And it's true, many people had unhappy adolescent years, but mine were sort of, I was really happy because I went away for high school And was able to have this like real years of my life where there weren't a lot of adults in my life. And I was surrounded by people my own age up to, you know, normal teenage stuff of like Mm. going to concerts and, and then going to university. But I will say that the one kind of side effect of all of that is, and I think it's often true for people who are only children, is that because you're interacting with adults all the time from such a young age that was never, you know, like adulthood or adult conversations or going to parties were not scary or something I had to learn the way that some of my peers did, I think. Quite interesting. I feel this quite Good at a cocktail party. Very yeah. good at a cocktail party. I remember my father teaching me when I was very young that we were at, some, like it was like a wedding invitation. He was like, host means the drinks are paid for. No host. Means you have to pay for them yourself, and it was like these were my life lessons.
1: I love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it, sometimes, and I, I like to ask this question, but you've kind of touched on it there, which is your parents divorced at quite a young age, mm-hmm. and I like to think about. When we're younger, sitting at the dinner table, what are the conversations that happen around the dinner table? Did we enjoy that moment? Because those are times typically to connect. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you in those moments? Was dinner ever... I do ask this question because I did read a bit of your book on The Weight Watchers Mm -hmm. Founder. Mm -hmm. And you do speak about it. You allude to kind of what that moments, what those moments were like for you. Mm -hmm. And... Do you feel that that played a part in your later years in terms of dinner and how how have you tried to change mm-hmm. kind of how you see dinner, social dinners, and things like that?
0: Yeah, from when you were a child. Yeah, that's a lo- that's a loaded question. I my parents and they're coming off poorly, but whatever. <laughs> they also put me on diets when I was very young, and again. It was a different time. It was the 1980s. You know, I think they had this idea of, our daughter is a bit chubby. Let's just knit this in the butt and put her on a diet young and then, you know, get this whole weight thing out of the, out of the way. And that's not exactly how it works. So food was always this really fraught thing between my parents and me of what I was allowed to eat. Mm. And then towards my teenage years, I definitely had an eating disorder. So dinner was something that I was always kind of trying to avoid. I did eat, we did, we had sort of sophisticated hours and that we ate quite late and very California cuisine. So, you know, I was eating a lot of ginger and dill and salmon and, like, <laughs> pesto ravioli. And, like That's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it was good. It was good. Like, when people talk about comfort food, yeah. it's, like, pad thai and, you know, Caesar salad. Yeah. The other day, I was eating with a friend here in Paris, and there was this sort of like roasted butternut squash with chestnut cream and like hazelnuts. And he was like, oh, this is very you. This is very like you and your comfort food. And it was very that kind of food. So there was something sort of sophisticated about it. And my parents are both very smart people. And so, you know, dinner party or dinner table talk was often me hearing my father and stepmother talk about business, talking about news. My family was very interested in debating topics, even though we're all good sort of progressives. But yeah, I remember talking about like a Katie Royfe book about campus date rape on the way to school when I was a teenager. It was, you know, there was no sort of talking down. And also it was a weird time for pop culture. And I don't feel like we had TVs in our like rooms, there was not like family TV watching. So it wasn't Mm. like we were talking about, I don't even know what they watched, you know, anything (laughs) like that. So yeah, it was, but uh, it was not, dinner was always something I was kind of trying to avoid. Mm. And now, yeah, I now dinner is more, social for me. But when I'm alone, I'm not one of those people. I don't love to cook. I can cook and I'm not, I'm decent at it, but it's not like I'm one of those people that's making myself, you know, pouring yeah. myself a glass of wine. I wish that was more my case, but once, you know, girl dinner exploded on the <laughs> internet, I felt very seen. I won't lie. The
1: internet has made me feel like an absolute failure when it comes to cooking. I- oh, yeah. I can cook, but similar to you, I don't like cooking. My yeah. partner will attest to that. I do not like it, and I, I
0: don't would, find it relaxing. No, I, find I would it stressful. love to be one of those people, and I know people like that where mm. after a long day, all they want to do is like come oh, home yeah. and chop <laughs> vegetables, Stop and me. and it's like, oh no, no, no. <laughs> give yeah. me
1: an everything
0: shower and a robe, and yeah, uh, take out, yeah, yeah something, <laughs> a nice. Like, I'll eat, like, so many peanuts and drink three glasses of wine and then eat a cheeseburger. Like, that's that's heaven for me. But, yes. <laughs> so
1: tell us a bit about education. So mm-hmm. kind of as you grew into your teens, mm-hmm. what was education like for you? Was it something that you wanted and actively mm-hmm. fought for? Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? What was that kind of narrative
0: in your, in mm-hmm. your mind? I was always a smart kid. Mm-hmm. I, and I say that... Because I think it's important, especially with women, when you think about the way that the world has treated you. And so many women are treated as objects of beauty or lack thereof. And so the way that I related to the world, and I think that's really made a huge impact on the way that I think about aging and just my place in the world, is that I was never treated as a pretty girl or like that was not how I was presented. Mm. You know, weight was always an issue, which I don't mean to to make anyone feel sorry for me, but I was always treated as, you know, an intellectual and that all of my promise and value to the world was going to be because I was a good thinker. I was always going to go to university, but I also didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't have a big... Motivating job. My father is an attorney. And I think there was a time when I was very young where I just thought I too would be an attorney until no. My mother, I think, vaguely wanted me to be a doctor. But again, that's something that she was, you know, drawn to. I always was very good at, you know, writing and interested in reading. And so I think I always had some idea it would be something kind of writing, editing, or verbal. But I, You know, I wasn't one of those kids that was really driven, Hmm. where it was like, I was editor of the school newspaper, and then I was editor of the college newspaper and did that. I'm envious of those people who have that drive. Emily Weiss and Glossy is one of those people, Hmm. but I kind of just fell into things. Hmm. But, you know, I went to college prep school, like a private high school that was very rigorous. Reading and writing was always really important to me.
1: And so did you when you saw a course, was it like write, writing journalism, this is kind of what I'm headed for? And no. did it wasn't <laughs> it it was no. it, it just kind I of mean, happened.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I went to a college or I graduated from a, a college that didn't have Major, so I didn't really have to decide on anything, which is quite nice. And I had never taken any journalism classes because I loved reading magazines, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't interested in, I don't know, like writing exposes of school politics or something like that. It wasn't for me. And I studied French, I studied art history, I studied literature, typical kind of liberal arts background. And again, I was always interested in writing. And then I kind of dabbled in different things and had friends that had a small feminist magazine in San Francisco and started writing just little articles for, you know, free or very little money and just realized I had so much to to say. I had so much commentary on popular culture that I wanted to. And it really became the thing I was interested in just sort of grew where, you know, someone from a slightly larger magazine would read my work and ask me to do something. And it sort of like organically grew that way.
1: That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about this on the podcast where I talk about because we're trying to help young people, young Mm -hmm. women specifically kind Mm -hmm. of elevate themselves in their career. The purpose Mm -hmm. being that as I elevated, I come from an industry of tech. So Mm -hmm. even there are so, so little females, but as I elevated the less women that I saw. Mm -hmm. And so this is about how can you help women amplify their voices and get to a place where you're, even if you're in the room and you're the only woman there that you actually activate your voice. Mm -hmm. And I talk about how do you do that? (laughs) <laughs> Tell me now. <laughs> so I think that there's two things. One, mm-hmm. I think that the... Co- I mean, confidence naturally is a big thing. And mm-hmm. you have to believe that you know what you're talking about and that you actually have value to offer. You mm-hmm. don't want to be that person in the room that's like every two seconds, but actually doesn't add any value with the things that you say. Sometimes I
0: worry I'm that person. <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... Well, I've seen your interviews and I don't believe that you are and everything that I've heard. Everyone has their insecure moments Because that's the thing. I've never had that problem of not speaking up. Yeah. I'm quite the opposite where yeah. sometimes I think I'm, I would be like me in class being like, and another thing about Dickens, <laughs> the teacher being like, you're not even giving, <laughs> stop calling him corny. Like, what do you, what, Like, that's not enough commentary. You're not even reaching very hard. So yeah, I have, I have never had a problem speaking up, but I do think that everyone wonders if, you know, what they're doing has value. The other thing that I think that I felt at the time was this was all happening. I was searching when I was, you know, this was like in my early 20s. Like Mm. I've basically been a full-time writer since I was, I don't know, 24, 25. And yet at that age, I felt like, wow, I'm really floundering. Like I really am figuring it out. I'm so old to be figuring out what I'm doing. I'm kind of a mess up. And Yeah. And I think that's hard. I think that there's this pressure to figure it out right away. Yeah, And I think the way, you know, even though I was relatively young, it was a kind of small, one step at a time, organic process. I was working other, you know, jobs to pay for things. And I think that was fortunate because I could know if I really liked it and I wasn't, you know, trying to just throw myself at anything before it was ready